Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome back to Disciple Making. I'm Darren Wright here with Tim Beadle. And Tim, we're on the on the cusp of Easter season. We've got right. Palm Sunday coming. And we've been talking about the messages we preached. And I preached last week on Jesus as an example. Uh, where are you going this week with Palm Sunday? Well, you know, the traditional message will be, you know, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey and people are flinging their coats on the ground and cutting down palm branches and the hosannas and hallelujahs and things like that. Uh, however, <laughs> uh, do you realize, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, because a lot of people that I that I uh, inquire of, uh, what was the demeanor or expression on Jesus' face as he was riding into Jerusalem? Um, you know, was he high-fiving the crowds? Because this was his moment, you know, for all of his ministry, he'd say, no, my time has not yet come. Uh, and he sort of withdrew. But now he's he's riding in, you know, it's Passover, he's riding in on the, you know, the prophesied donkey. And what most people don't realize, uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says that Jesus was weeping mm. as he was riding into Jerusalem. Now, you know, why would that be? Uh, at least I think I can get some people's attention to maybe listen to the rest of the message. And so what I'd like to do is, is just some... Um, Invite listeners today, as I'm going to be inviting my uh, faith community this weekend, uh, to don't get caught up in the celebrations of Palm Sunday and sort of sit on the sidelines in celebration. But I'm going to invite you, as a true uh, follower of Jesus, someone who wants to make disciples or someone who's an apprentice of Jesus, to get off the sideline hmm. and walk beside Jesus through this week. Hmm. Walk beside him through this week. Uh, 20%, 20 to 25% of the gospel accounts deal with this one week of Jesus' life. And that's significant. And so uh, sometimes, you know, Palm Sunday, then we're thinking about the cross immediately and, and of course, the resurrection. But uh, Jesus was weeping. And uh, I want to bring uh, our listeners and my eventual audience to understand why he was weeping, why he was weeping. Now understand this, you know, the big celebration was going on. It was Passover time. People had gone to Jerusalem. Uh, during that, there'd, there'd be, you know, the Passover meal. They, they would slaughter. Uh, they would sacrifice and slaughter a, a young lamb. They'd take the shank bone and they would, that would be, you know, part of the meal. But what people didn't realize that as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, he was the sacrificial lamb <laughs> who'd been prophesied. Uh, you know, back in Isaiah 53, you know, he was pierced for our transgression, uh, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Uh, you know, it talks about, you know, he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep is uh, before the shears is silent. He did. So, you know, this had been prophesied for hundreds of years. And, and Jews would have known this passage, but they missed it. Hmm. Even though... Um, John the Baptist, you know, first chapter of John, it said, you know, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said to his disciples and the crowd around, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So right from the outset, 
Jesus was defined and identified as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. And then if you go right to the end of, uh, you know, the biblical account, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 5, it says, Then I saw a lamb, you know, referring to Jesus, uh, looked as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. And, and then I looked up and heard the voice of many angels, numbering 100 million, that's a whole bunch, in a loud voice. And they said, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth. So, so you know, in terms of the, 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 the Jews, their heritage had always talked about the Messiah and, and the foreshadowing of the one who would die for them. And here is Jesus riding in and people, you know, they celebrated him. But the same crowds that were cheering, I believe the same people were jeering him five days later when they said, crucify him, crucify him. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's sort of a launching point. Uh, to get people off the sidelines of celebration and to actually walk beside Jesus uh, as he went in towards Jerusalem. Now, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you chirp in here so I don't dominate what's going on here. Uh, what, what what's your take on Jesus' response uh, in the temple? I know this was the next day, but uh, Mark 11 says, and after he entered Jerusalem, he went to his father's house and he looked around. But because it was late, the tension builds. But because it was late, he he went out to Bethany. Uh, do, do you want to pick it up in terms of um, what he saw in the temple the next day that caused him to maybe turn some tables? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just as you've described it, you know, building the emotional build. I mean, Jesus being fully human, going to Jerusalem, A, he'd already wept over Jerusalem concern for Jerusalem as a place, yeah. but he also knew what he was going to face personally. So I can just imagine on the human level, all of the mix of emotion yeah. and what that, yeah. what that does. And, yeah. you know, an emotion like that, you know, emotion is not sin <laughs> and, oh. and feeling, feeling fear or anger or, or, you know, those things, not necessarily, maybe fear could be described as sin, I guess, but as far as that distress and that anticipation yeah. is not. So I think when he went to the temple and, you know, looked around, you know, he, he's really, it's part of his carrying the load of what is coming, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and just, just the, uh, a bit of maybe frustration that they, they don't get it and they're not going to get it, uh, you know, and, and it just doesn't tell us in the passage. We, we can speculate. It doesn't tell us, yeah. but as a, as a human going to face what he's going to face, there'd just be this building sense of, of weight and anticipation, but not a happy anticipation in the short term for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, the emotions of Jesus, if you track with them. And as followers of, of Jesus, you know, in disciple making, uh, you know, he always, he always wasn't exhibiting the same demeanor. Hmm. You know, obviously, uh, here there's righteous anger going on. But if we back up the truck a little bit, obviously, you know, as he got up in the morning from Bethany, scripture says he was hungry and seeing in the distance a, a fig tree and leaf. He went to see if he had any fruit because that's what fig trees do. They produce fruit, right? But not on this day. There is a fig tree in full leaf with no fruit. And he cursed it. And he said, may you never bear fruit again. And the Bible says, and his disciples heard him say it, which would suggest to me, this is an object lesson that he's teaching his followers to to, uh, sort of uh, stand up at attention and take note. And I think I might have mentioned this before in in a previous podcast on bearing fruit rather than growing leaves. Fig trees in the day of Jesus, when they bore their leaves, they also grew fruit. So if you saw a tree with only leaves and no fruit, it was actually a very sick tree. Mm. That they use all of its sappy strength on, on, on growing these leaves and not bearing fruit. And after all, 
So uh, this is usually where my uh, corny humor kicks in because I said, you know, this this uh, object lesson, Jesus was speaking figuratively of, of, the, of the big leafy table just around the, the, the big leafy temple just around the corner where it looked like everything was healthy and everything was going well. You know, smoke was going up, you know, sacrifices were being made, people were going to the temple. And that's sort of how we traditionally have, have counted a successful church. How many people are coming to the temple? But in this occasion, Jesus went in and he was livid. Uh, the anguish and the anger. And so, uh, you know, he took it upon himself to... And remember, this is the same temple where he was, you know, some 20 years ago when his parents sort of... Uh, Mary and Joseph lost track of him for a few days. Same temple, right? In Jerusalem. And here he is back again. And he doesn't like what he sees. And so, um, at this point, I guess we stop and we um, consider... Uh, if Jesus needs to turn over any temple uh, tables in the way that we worship him today. And I don't know in your experience, you know, in the 12 church movement or your historical view of church, if Jesus were to walk in and look around, uh, would he be turning over tables? And if so, maybe what some tables, what kind of tables would he have concern about, Darren? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we need to first ask the question before we go corporate, we need to ask it on the personal level. There you go. And ask, you know, ask the Lord the question. I, I think of the Psalm 139 prayer. Search me, O God, know my heart. Is there any offensive way in me? And I, I think that picture of turning over tables, Lord, are there any tables you want to turn over in my life? Yeah. I would ask that question. Uh, I've I've uh, looked at that passage, of course, in the past. And it's interesting, Tim, that uh, one old commentator uh, said that, you know, Jesus, when he did the, the temple the temple clearing, he made a ceremonial scourge. It really didn't yep. hurt anybody. It was more like a string that he kind of... Yep waved around and, you know, uh, and that doesn't fit what scripture seems to indicate. And it certainly no. doesn't fit, fit the humanity of Jesus. And he wants to, you know, I believe violently overthrow things in their lives that are counter to the cause yeah. of Christ to the kingdom of God. Yeah. And there are things that just need to go. And in that yeah. temple system, there are things that, that had crept in and taken root. And, you know, and in my life, there've been times things have had to need, needed to go. And now in the way we do church, I've come across a new, new acronym I mentioned to you as we were getting yeah. ready, Cocky, C-A-W-K-I, Church As We Know It. And yeah. there are things, I think, in Church As We Know It that might be some tables that need turning over. And I think if there are things that are interfering with us making disciples, probably yeah. that table needs to be turned over. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I uh, led a staff meeting at church this week, told them what I was going to preach upon, and I said, okay, staff. Sunday, we're all busy. We're running around, running programs, making sure, you know, the mics are working, the music's, uh, you know, all lined up and, uh, you know, we have an order of service. Uh, when do you, when do I actually worship? Do we actually worship on, on Sundays? And, and I know that the Lord has convicted me over the years as a pastor, realizing that Sunday is probably not the day that I'm worshiping. Oh, I go through and lead people in worship. And of course, I mean what I say, and I say what I mean, and I sing the words. But in terms of the worship, um, last night at prayer meeting, I, I challenged um, those in attendance, you know, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, my God. Uh, where is that longing? Have we lost the awe and the reverence? Have we lost the longing? You know, Jesus said, yeah, you made this temple into a you know, den of robbers, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, of communion, of connection. 
And so uh, for those of us who are committed to being disciple makers, uh, when do we worship? Because mm, we can get we, we we can get busy in the mechanics and commitment of making disciples, and our our focus is more on other people and seeing where they are. And so we we need to attract them. You know, we consider no one from a worldly point of view, but mm. God is the audience of of our lives, and uh, we 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 need to stop and be arrested. You know, so, someone once said this. Uh, related to our work, our play, and our worship. I don't know who it was. Maybe you know, Darren. He said, we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. <laughs> uh, have you heard I, I, that I before? I said it, but I've heard that. Well. That's, that's quite the cutting turn of phrase, isn't it? Yeah, it sort of arrests you, and, and you sort of look at your life and say, okay, uh, if worship is giving worth to... Uh, where is the focus on my life? Now, what do I actually worship? Is it the Lord? Actually, is it my work where I spend most of my time and get my sense of identity? And then, uh, you know, we sort of work at our play, our hobbies and things like that. And uh, in this person's estimation, and maybe Jesus' view of the temple then and now, perhaps we have to admit, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're not really that serious about the worship. You know, church as, as uh, we know it today Maybe it's more about um, same old, same old, rather than yeah, coming yeah. in the presence of Holy God. Well, well, you know, Tim, I don't know how many of our listeners are, you know, vocational ministry people, yeah. but yeah. what you that quote you shared uh, remind me of another one I heard that the greatest hindrance to walking with God is working for God. Yeah, and how the task, and this is true both of vocational people as well as as well as what we call lay people, people who are serving God in different capacities, that work that that, you know, Martha, Martha yeah. <laughs> busyness can squeeze out the sitting at Jesus' feet. It can squeeze out, in, in Revelation 2, the Ephesians church can squeeze out the first love. Yeah. And so when we're working so hard, and I think maybe that's that's what had happened at the temple, there's all these things that had come in as a part of their system, extra biblical parts of their system, maybe even biblical parts that were yeah. expanded to serve people that were squeezing out the walking with God and the connecting with the Creator. Okay, so that's one instance of walking beside Jesus. Well, I guess two. You're, you're walking in, he's riding on the donkey, he's crying, and then the emotions change and he's livid. He's angry, righteous anger in the temple. Uh, and then we're, we're going to look at one more picture of Jesus. And now this is a few days later in the upper room. Uh, riding into Jerusalem, he commandeered a donkey, and now he sort of commandeered a room. He, you know, he, I guess he had contacts because a room is donated. And we probably know this story in Luke 22 and John. 13, that um, there's a room, there's the water and basin, a towel, um, the table, the food, but no servants. And uh, as, as you read through the accounts, um, again, this is where Jesus, John says, showed, you know, the full expression of his love. However, uh, before he washed the disciples' feet, something very specific happened that a lot of people don't connect to the washing of the feet. Uh, in, in Luke 22, it says, you know, a dispute broke out. This is after Jesus had said, one of you will betray me. And after they sort of feared, uh, trying to figure out who that was, a dispute uh, also arose amongst them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Mm. Now, before you remember this story of uh, the mother of uh, 
James and John, sons of Zebedee, had come and asked, you know, can my, can my son sit at either side of the kingdom? And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Mm-hmm. But here again, the disciples didn't learn from what Jesus told them about don't be like the world's values. And uh, Jesus said, you know, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, but not so with you. Mm-hmm. He said, instead, the greatest, the greatest one in my kingdom is going to be the one who serves. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you got to be the servant of all. And at that point, at that point, I believe that's when he, you know, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist and got on his knees. And and I want you as uh, listeners to get on your knees with Jesus at this point hmm. and, and look up into the eyes of the disciples. And what, what, what are you going to see there? <laughs> Embarrassment, like, because they knew they should be washing their master's feet, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting, Tim, that you go in there, because I actually was in that passage last week as a part of our, our right. larger series where we're, uh, I mean, a five-week series called What's the Point? What's the Point of His Life, Death, Resurrection, Ascension, and Return? Look at the work of Jesus and, and what the point, and the point of his life, one of them is that he's an example, but I did focus in on this issue and that passage. His life is an example of service, but especially an example of service as a core component of leadership. Yeah. And I dude. think that's what was really cutting about the situation. He is the leader, the master, yeah. the rabbi, and he's doing something they weren't even willing to do. And and this tells us something about what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. I got, th- I, I got uh, three R word, uh, lots of R words here in terms of remembering what you just said in terms of what it means to be a servant leader. First one is you have to realize your role. You have to realize your role. Uh, you know, at the beginning of John, it says, Jesus, well, he knew a couple of things. It says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning. Jesus had an understanding of his identity and timing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well, that's they, good. That's a good catch. I've heard the identity, yeah. but not the timing so much. Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, in disciple-making, identity and timing are two vital elements that we have to know who we are so that if we're rejected by people, we don't take it personally because because we're actually obeying Jesus, not other people. And also timing. Uh, yeah. we, we basically have to be aware where someone's at. Is the time right? I, I, I think I said last week, um, you know, if we rush the crop, we spoil the harvest. That's a matter of inappropriate timing, right? And so that's the first point. And so to listeners today, uh, I, I do really understand who you are in Christ what the Father's plan is for you in your life. And are you walking at in His timing, not dictating the pace at which God should act on your behalf? Hmm. So that's the first one. Uh, realize you rolled the second one. And, and you have to do the first one before you do the second one. You have to release your rights. Okay? So in the passage, it talks about Jesus knew these things. And then it says, so... Or therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you ask, what is it there for? But in light of the fact that he realized his role, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his feet, poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Mm. And so, you know, it was an immediate response of Jesus based on who he knew himself to be. That there, There's no in-between, no putting off. An immediate loving response in teaching his disciples the practical nature of sacrificial love. Uh, it's just so beautiful. Um, uh, And that's what Paul said to to the Philippians, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, 
you know, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Um, sometimes I don't like that word, nothing. I think the King James said of no reputation. Well, yeah, uh, well, but it's, it's, it's an important, pa- it's about he it is. himself is the, is the yeah. raw meaning, but we don't know all that means, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, taking the very nature, the nature of a servant, the morphe, the nature of a servant, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So, so releasing your rights. I, I think uh, last week my, my friend Jerry at church preached on what it means to follow Jesus, and you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. That's one of the hardest things I, I find to deny myself because I always think I probably know what I, I I'm doing, and God needs to humble me time and time again. But the, but that's. Uh, in in the whole twelve church movement, in terms of releasing your rights, um, how do you massage that whole principle, Darren? <laughs> well, I I hope I don't know about the massage the massage issue, but I know I'll speak again personally that I have, and I may have voiced this before, been increasingly challenged with the depth of the call, what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah, yeah. even even after being vocational ministry for almost three decades, to follow Jesus integrated that I'm, that I'm on mission and walking with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not a part of my job. It is part of my identity, the depth of that call and what it means to deny yourself. I mean, I, I can point to a time in my life where I denied myself in a, in a big way many times, but, but it says daily, take up our cross. Yeah. That, that it says daily, every day committed to him. And, uh, you know, he's our example and he gave it all. He laid it all on the line and he's calling us to the same thing. Not a lesser, he's not calling us to a lesser sacrifice in some measure. He's calling us to a total, a total offering of ourselves to him. So that's why I actually see this act here tied to, you know, why Jesus was so upset in the temple because people had misplaced priority. You know, and as the deer longs to the water, that word longing means constant desire. And, and I believe in this passage uh, when you're filled with the love of God, you're in constant communion with the Lord. Yeah, sometimes uh, we get out of total fellowship with Him, but the Spirit continually brings us back, woos us back as our comforter and and counselor and convictor, to the point that yeah, what we do is part of our worship to the Lord. Like like we're doing this for Him uh, through the power of the Spirit because of the love of Jesus. Which brings me to, to my my third point: some more R's. So we have uh, realize your role and release your rights, but. Now recognize your responsibilities. Jesus said, do you understand what I've just done for you? He said, and this is the only time in the New Testament where this word is used. He says, I've set you an example. Mm. Now, I know when people says, here's an example. Uh, when I was in school and I didn't get a math, okay, here's an example. Follow this and you'll understand. Jesus said in the washing of the disciples' feet, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He isn't talking literally about washing feet, about although some people do that in different denominations. Mm. But he says, get on your knees, as it were, and be a servant to other people. Mm. And uh, at this point again, uh, are you standing beside Jesus because he's given this example to you and to me as well? Not just those way back when. Yeah. And, and and that's why the, the, the beauty of my invitation is Walk beside Jesus through this week, and you'll experience Easter way differently, mm. more intimately, more intensely, more intentionally, just because Jesus never wasted a moment to lead people towards my final point here, which is in, in Luke 22, he says, I confer on you a kingdom. Mm. 
Now, uh, in a couple of months from now, there'll be a lot of kids walking across the stage, getting their degrees conferred upon them, getting their diplomas. Same word used here, that Jesus to his followers saying, I want to confer on you a new way of living, and it's the kingdom of life. You know, seek ye first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and, and all the rest will follow. Uh, but um, I want to challenge our listeners as we sort of land the plane here. Um, I want to induct you all today, not into the Order of Canada or the Hockey Hall of Fame. I want to induct you into the Order of the Towel. <laughs> a lot of people have given up on the church and given up on God, and they've thrown in their towel, as it were. Hmm. But I want to present to you another towel, a towel of service a towel of disciple-making in which you will become the servants of others and you'll be following Jesus as you do this and you will be living the kingdom life that Jesus died to give to us. So mm. any any final thoughts, Darren, on this one? Yeah, no, excellent, Tim. Thanks so much. And, and you know, people will be listening to this, you know, yeah. after Palm Sunday, after Easter, uh, because this is when we're recording it. They're not going to get it for a while. But it doesn't matter because these principles are absolutely yeah. timeless. It's yeah. not about a time of the year. It's about a posture and trajectory of life. And and so I would land as well by saying, are there tables the Lord wants to overturn in your life? Yep. Is there towel service he wants to call you to? Are there some timing issues that he's calling you to? And, you know, I think the example of Jesus, interestingly, even in the Passion, you know, even at this stage of life, Jesus is an example for us. Yeah, and the things that we can do that he was doing modeled for us. And uh, that's just a great outline of, of that time of the year in our yep. church here. But it's every week, Tim. It's every week. And I picked up what you said there. Uh, for those of us who are in you know vocational ministry or committed to work in the church, is your, I think this is what you said, is your work for God getting in the way of your walk with God? Is that is that what you said, Darren? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a risk. Our, our work for God is a risk with, to our walk with God, yeah. Yeah, so there we go. So that's another edition of Disciple Making. I'm Tim Beadle with my friend Darren Ride. Join us again. And uh, until you join us, walk beside Jesus each day. Take your lead from him. And may God richly bless you today. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.